The views expressed in our episode are ours alone and do not represent any other organizations. Our episodes discuss internet crimes against children and cases that involve the exploitation of children and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. I don't know that we don't see it's uh, it's not every day that we're seeing violence go along with it as far as you know an attack of some sort um it does happen uh I know that you know that there have been things just in we've had recent I say recent I guess it feels like it's recent but it's been a few years ago or a couple years ago that that a a child was kidnapped from her mother in Fort Worth in broad daylight and so there was, you know, a child abuse component to that kidnapping. And, you know, fortunate, thank God they rescued that kid um, through really amazing police work um, and and community involvement. But but that's not the that's not the norm. Um, I have seen those things happen um, with violence in the attack. But for the most part, when we're seeing every day, you know, the especially online, you're you know, you're not seeing that because sometimes the offenders prefer to just stay anonymous online because they're afraid they'll get caught if they go to a hands-on offense. I'm curious. The case uh, we've been looking at is one where they found one predator and that led them to a network of other predators. Is it common for these people to have networks where they trade materials or what have you? I think so. I, yeah. I, mean, I don't want to say yes in every sense, in every case, but I don't think it's as un. I, I, how to put this? I don't want to. I don't want everyone to believe that every child sexual abuse material trader is part of a larger, you know, ring of offenders. But in some, I guess, in some regards, that is true because if you are trading, downloading, sharing this material, you're doing it with someone because you're getting material from, from other people. So in that sense, there is a ring or, or a, a network. Um, I think there are certainly times when there are organized networks of people who are, uh, I mean, and there are, are well-publicized cases of, of those networks where, you know, people that have been caught are, are meeting in real life with people that they've also spoken to online. Um, but what I can tell you is what we're seeing um, on on in the ways that we can see people that are communicating about and talking about these things. There are certainly some organized aspects to those to those offenses where they are they are you know they find like minded people in these groups, and so that cultivates their their fantasies and their um, sexual deviances together. And then you know certainly there are opportunities for them to try to enact those things in person, uh, given the opportunity. So I don't want to make it seem like every CSAM offender is part of a big network, but in some aspects, yes. I mean, it, you know, in a vague sense, there are, 
there are always networks around how they're getting this material and, and how they're trading this material because someone is producing it. Um, and so without that producer, you wouldn't have it. And someone is consuming it. And without that consumer, there would be no need for the production. So I think there is a sense in that way. But I think there are organized networks as well. Yeah, I, I just would add the, um, I'd make a distinct line between a network and a ring. A ring of some, you know, I, I take the person that's in a ring of like-minded people fulfilling, you know, fantasies, if that's what it starts out as, that are going, turning into reality versus the network because the networking you know they're all drawn together the just by virtue of how they're getting the material like brandon said they're all networked into different platforms and and methodology because they all have the same sort of propensity some are never going to go hands-on as brandon mentioned before but um it doesn't mean they won't share the content that they're seeking um so from the networking side I'd say a good portion probably are, but uh, from a ring, like, you know, I think it falls, we hear a lot in our, in our arena related to human trafficking. And there's a lot of people who believe that the kidnapper van is scooping kids off the street corner. And while that certainly is in the realm of possibility, um, it's not something we see very frequently because we know that a lot of those kids are exploited long before they're pushed into that situation of trafficking. And it's, it's a double-edged sword, but that's more of what I would call a ring versus the networking. If that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And you talk about how maybe the idea of people getting pushed into a van isn't something you really need to be concerned about. So that raises the question, what should parents be concerned about? What should they be on the lookout for? Let me, yeah, let me go ahead. Let me follow up to what he said about, you know, I don't, we don't want to, to ever discount that you should be aware and that, of course, kids are kidnapped and there are trafficking things like that. Certainly, that, that could be a possibility. But I think overall, what we're saying is that, you know, and, and there are people who work only trafficking. So I don't want to, posit that we are some experts in trafficking because we're not certainly but but what we tend to see is victims that are trafficked tend to be child abuse victims child sexual abuse victims child exploitation victims long before the trafficking occurs because a lot of times the trafficking is coming out of that exploitation um so to follow up on that what should they be concerned with is um i'd say my answer would be twofold. You should be concerned with all of the things that you've been concerned with in the past, but just throw into the mix that, that all of those things that you were seeing happening in real life, in re, in person, those are now happening much more frequently online first. So I would say the, the biggest takeaway for a parent is know what your child is doing on that device that you've given them. Because think about, you know, what Tony said, that white van that kidnaps kids. We've, we've, long said in when we teach people that you know the age of the white van at the end of the block that that's long gone that that offender in the white van is coming right into your child's bedroom through that cell phone that you've given them unfettered access to the internet unrestricted access to applications and people on the other end of those and so that would be my first answer and then and then just as a secondary follow-up to that would be you should be pouring into your child's life 
with an intentionality in in the way that you parent that that hardens the target to make them impermeable to that sort of risk you know that that's the you know the caution is not what do we have to be afraid of is it's more proactive of what can i do to prevent this and and the easy answer is just be involved and be a parent and i think if you've got those the two things then you know, it's going to be easy so yeah he, he took the words out of my mouth exactly I, I echo everything that he said the only thing i would add is monitor if you aren't a technically savvy person educate yourself or get something that put on the device that will help you monitor some of the activities that go on there. We're big proponents of that. I use it with my own family. Um, I just think it's very important. Aside from the intentionality, like Brandon mentioned, you know, we when we do presentations with parent groups or churches or you know whoever will listen to us talk the paint off a wall, um, you know, we will often say. A couple things like, hey, you're not going to tell your 11-year-old, here's the keys to the car, go to the store and get me some milk and butter and bring it back. You know, why are you going to be so concerned? Uh, you know, you're going to give them, like Brandon said, these unfettered access to a, a full-blown computer into the privacy of their own room and not be intentional about things or the talk. Oh, my kid's 12 years old. I got to have the talk. Well, if you're thinking about that, the talk, you're in the wrong mindset. You need to have many talks all along the way. And from a young age, we're seeing victims as young as nine and 10, you know, who are, are subject to online situations that are getting them exploited because technology is where it is. And there are kids in elementary school that have iPhone 13s and everything else. So it's a, it's a, a progression of just being involved and being aware and validating what you're hearing from your kid. Not that you're not going to trust your kid because we all want to trust our kids, but we want to validate what they're telling us. Either that's through monitoring or that's through our own checking. And, and be careful what you're posting and what your kid's posting. I mean, I, I have had this talk and I know Tony and I both have, have shared with each other that we have had this talk with people in our own lives about, you are not thinking about what you're putting out there um, in, in two ways. You're not thinking about it. Um, oftentimes, people are putting out very, a lot of information without, very innocently, not meaning to put out information. But more so, what you're putting out there, you're not thinking of as an offender would. Um, so when you post your kids you know, at the park or you're posting – um, what I, what we keep seeing on offenders devices, you know, when we get a, an offenders device in the lab and start looking at it and start just seeing pictures and videos that have been taken off of kids, social media account of them doing things, you know, in their bedrooms, um, or doing, you know, gymnastics things or going out to the pool and filming and things like that. Well, of course, a parent's not thinking of that in any, in any way, generally other than innocently. Um, but to steal one of our colleagues and, and he just put it better than, than I could, I'll, I'll steal Dr. Hill's analogy. You're not going to the grocery store and posting a picture of your kid in their bathing suit saying, here, take one, you know, and have it for your own use. But that's what we're doing online. Parents are posting pictures of their kids in all of these circumstances that they're not thinking of as anything other than innocently as, as they should, but 
but an offender is not looking at that. That's the, the mindset the, the offender is looking at is very different. And so they're collecting those things maybe as, as personal use, you know, imagery. And, and so that's something I would caution parents. Um, I, I don't think we've said that enough, you know, just to make sure that <laughs> you're thinking about how is someone that might have horrible things on their mind, you know, regarding kids, how are they going to look at this picture? Not how are you as a parent going to look at it? Yeah. And, and we recognize we come from a, the paradigm of we're messed up. <laughs> We've seen this stuff so much for so many years and run across this so much. It's <laughs> second nature to us, but to get parents to shift that paradigm, to think from that perspective is very eye opening when we, when you see it click with a parent, when we do a presentation. And we hate to have to, yeah. This is an incredible list of things that parents uh, can do differently to help protect their kids. I wonder, is there anything the big tech companies could or should do to help protect kids online? Yeah, very good question. Um, I would say the rock solid answer is heck yeah. There's a lot of things they can do. Um, You know, in today's environment and, you know, people talking about, uh, government oversight and all the sort of things that go around that and the debates that happen. And this isn't some political um, message that I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to say is that there are certainly things, there are things that providers, online providers are doing that are working and are helpful, but there are lots of things they could do to make it easier. If they wanted to get rid of this type of material on their servers, they absolutely could do that if that's what they wish to do. Um, and and I, I'm not going to just put a blanket over and say that's not what their goal is. I don't think anybody would come forward from any platform anywhere to say we're not about protecting kids because I think inherently everybody is about protecting kids. But, you know, we see, we see the things that come across and we see the things that sometimes are not always taken down rapidly um i mean there's always room for improvement on everybody's level from an inter- internet service provider from law enforcement from parents i think the takeaway is yes we can all do better and we've recently had the opportunity to speak with you know liaisons from some of the bigger companies at the crimes conference and so i think our big our big um point that we believed that we wanted to make then was just opening up a partnership and a line of communication between law enforcement and those companies and between parents and those companies trying to make sure that you know these companies have a lot to think about they they are they are trying to walk that balance between user privacy and user protection um, and so there's the encryption um, aspects we tend to fall on the side of, you know, like NCMEC, that that end-to-end encryption, although it has its uses, um, sometimes is just a way to not have to, you know, worry about some of the, the stuff that may be out there. And so I think my my biggest push for the companies to, to do would be just to be open with us in how we can work better on their platforms to protect kids. And, um, and basically just monitor as much as they can to to try and take it down as quickly because as, as possible. So. 
Absolutely. I wanted to turn back to the case that we've been covering extensively, just because it does get into a lot of these issues around CSAM and online predators. I'm just wondering if this is something that sounds like familiar in terms of investigations you've done, or if it sounds at all unusual in terms of um, offender behavior. And, and this is basically, you have an offender who's uh, got a you know, is a man, but is using a female name on the messaging platform Kick, and appears to be messaging back and forth with other people who claim to, you know, have female names in their uh, profiles, but appear to be other pedophiles or, you know, offenders, and they're describing CSAM, essentially. And is that some sort of, like, thing that is is out there, or some sort of uh, thing that you've kind of encountered in your investigations, or is that just totally off-pace? Wait, that they're describing it or that they're sharing it with each other? Sharing it and and in some cases sort of describing what they have, basically. Yeah, I'd say I think that's that networking that we were kind of talking about where where like-minded individuals are going to places where other individuals have that available. Um, and they're looking, it's almost like they're always looking for new material. And so it it's sort of that opportunity and, you know, we we're seeing that that that's very common. Um, I don't know that pretending to be female when you're male or male when you're female necessarily plays into I'm It's not something we have never seen. It's just I don't know that that I think I'd have to think about the psychology of what, what what's going on and what's the purpose. Um, I've seen more often that an offender may pretend to be the other sex while they're messaging kids. Um to obtain nude imagery and so it i have seen very commonly a male pretending to be a female child or or juvenile who's then seeking out nude imagery of other males and then using that to extort them or blackmail them that's a very common scheme yeah i would agree with that and um you know there's not much more to say like brandon's already said yeah we we see that commonality within Lots of different platforms, not just the specific one you mentioned, but um, I mean, that's by virtue of how they do it. This, like he said, the self-generated material is what we're having the biggest problems with now. Just simply on the education side of that, where kids, you know, their belief, their mindset is, well, you know, if I know the person, it's okay as long as they agree not to share it. And so we really have to be vigilant in how we change their mindset that, no, that's not the right way to think. You don't need to do that. But uh, that the common theme is there. Like you said, that's the whole networking side. They're they're all looking for the same material or new material. But, and let me point out what's so dangerous though about what you're talking about with your case on on a platform like that where they're describing what they're doing or what they have is, you know, someone who may be seeking new material, maybe driving, you know, and not that they that they're not owning owning their own actions, but that they may be driving someone with access to a child to create new material, um, and thereby, cre- you know, creating new material means offending against a child. And um, so, to me, that's some of the worst of the worst um, because they are fueling the the creation of new material and the hands on abuse of a child just by seeking out new new stuff in that way um, so very often we've seen that that be the case where the production of new material is occurring because others are are sort of driving that that need um, in that way 
Yeah, it's, it's horrifying. And then just one more case specific question. This is uh this is basically a situation where you have an offender. There's a raid on his house. His devices are confiscated. Um, and there is uh, CSAM on said devices and, you know, internet searches, mat- you know, materials, images, videos. Um, but he's not actually charged until three years later, actually over three years later. And, and you know, that's been something a lot of people have questioned or like, was there some sort of delay or mistake? And, and we don't we don't have the answers. But I guess it, it, with your experience, we'd we'd love to get your insight on like why that could occur is it just something that takes a long time to investigate and prove and and or is that does that sound like a long time for that gap to kind of be there's a couple of factors that could come into play with it the first one i could think of with a delay and if i'm understanding correct me if i misunderstood but uh the the warrant happened the seizure of the devices took place but no arrest took place for three years is what you're saying happened um, yep. that seems, uh, well, that seems a little out of the ordinary to me. Um, I, sometimes if I'm in the context I'm thinking of, you know, if you go into a house to execute a warrant and there's five adult males living in the home and it's one computer that's open, you know, the burden is a little harder, not impossible, but it's a little harder to put who's behind the actual keyboard. That could be some factor, um, Maybe, you know, I I don't know some of the other factors that could cause a three-year delay. That seems, that seems. No, we're hesitant. I think we're hesitant to say there are so many factors that could come into play. You know, the the ability to get into devices, you know, the maybe the possibility of finding victims. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll say that tends to spark longer periods of investigation when you're finding victims. You know, identification of victims is our our number one go- goal in rescuing kids from those circumstances. So, yeah. you know, that's that's the thing that you know when you're looking through, and depending on the number of devices, um, how they had to be examined, what the access to those devices. Um, and when you get into five or six devices with hundreds of thousands of images or videos, trying to identify each child that might be in harm's way could certainly take time. But I think I would say uh, we would be cautious to speak to any length of time, you know, whether it's too short or too long. I, I, you know, I don't know that we could speak to that with any sort of yeah and we definitely we certainly do not know all the factors involved here so we we were curious about your guys's gut check on that but it sounds like there could be a lot you know and i know in this case there certainly was uh there were numerous devices i believe involved Mm -hmm. so that is a factor here well and tony's had cases with you know eight thousand victims and so the time and effort it takes to try to identify and and really you know track down and I mean, just honestly, even tracking down the law enforcement officer in the area where the victim is to try and get contact with, yeah. I mean, that's something that does take a significant portion of time as well. And so, you know, I, there might be that at play as well. Do the victims, um, once they're discovered, do they have to typically testify at trial? Is that a common thing or are they often, unfortunately, not discovered and the trial sort of go on? Uh, I would say it. It's a depends kind of thing. Um, Very, in my experience only is what I'm going to speak on. In my experience only, the majority of the offenders that I have experience with um, are not going to a jury trial. 
you know, they, they realize, and often a lot of the cases, the chips are very much against them and their best option is to, you know, try to work that process out with the prosecutor through some sort of agreement. And so there's, there's not very many instances where we've actually had to go to trial where a victim would have to actually come forward. I've, I would say I had more victims come in and testify when I was a like a hands-on detective um, in the sense of hands-on cases, um, sex offenses with kids. Um, I had lots more kids uh, get on the stand and testify in those instances than I ever have with online related crimes. Yeah, I think that it would just depend on the type of offense it is, how it's being prosecuted, what's being alleged. I think, you know, those are the sort of factors that we would have to look at. I don't see, I think, yeah, the the ones in which the kid was a hands-on victim, typically they are the fact witness that's going to talk about what's, I mean, I won't pretend to be an attorney, so I'll say I, I don't know um, all of the the ways that, they would need to come in. One thing that's very clear from uh, listening to uh, everything you've said is that this is a very stressful job. This is very difficult work you do, the things that you have to see. I think Tony joked that your minds were messed up because of this. <laughs> so to wrap up, I'm just curious, how do you guys deal with the trauma and the stress of this difficult but very necessary work? Um, for me, I, I will say twofold, uh, threefold. One, I'm very grounded in my faith. I'm very grounded with my family. I do my very best to not bring the job home, um, even though that's a very difficult task. On the secondary side of it, I occupy my personal time completely away from the law enforcement arena. I have hobbies. We do our own podcast, which takes up a bunch of our time, even though it's semi-work related, uh, a lot of work related, but it's a different context. And so, you know, um, plus I'm long in the saddle or I'm, I'm, I could retire if I wanted to. Uh, and so I just choose to occupy my mind with uh, th- things that I enjoy doing from a hobby side and where I'm not even really thinking about it. Uh, I mean, we're both cops. So we were police officers and, and detectives before we did this specific type of investigation. And so you see some terrible stuff as a police officer that, that you shouldn't, that no one should have to see. Um, and so I think early on, I learned how to sort of separate the two compartmentalize, you know, the, the, the terrible stuff you're seeing is horrible, of course, but I mean, someone needs to work to try to help these children and save these kids from this horrible situation and make sure that, you know, people are held accountable for doing horrible things to kids. And so for me, it's always been easy to say, sort of separate, like Tony said, I think anyone that does this for any length of time, either decides that they can separate the two or they don't do it anymore. Yeah. (laughs) And so if you figure out that you are, uh, I'd say messed up enough to be able to separate the two from from each other. Then then you do it, and and you understand. You know, I'll I'll give credit to one of our dear friends, Irish. You know, she said people always ask how you can do this. How can you do this work? And and she said when you look at uh, a child who has been 
rescued out of a circumstance where they've been harmed and you see them um, restored and healed through therapy and, and sort of the process that we, that we see kids go through to be brought back to some sort of semblance of well-being. Um, that, that's the answer to the, the question, which is, should be asked, which is why you do this. And so that's really my takeaway. We are very like Tony and I, in that we are grounded in our faith. We're grounded in our families. Um, and, and when I go home, this turns off and I don't think about that. And, you know, and I love on my kids and my wife and my dogs and, you know, that's the, the dogs really help because, you know, dealing with those little, <laughs> those little things are, are a life of none of themselves. So I think that we are both the same where we just sort of switch it off when we leave work. Um, we ha- I have a process when I leave work, I'm listening to something completely off topic and, driving home and sort of, I take off the, the coat of being detective and I come home and I'm, I'm husband, dad, and, you know, dog wrangler. Yeah. The the only thing I would add would be, uh, I know both of our agencies, um, are, are leading at the tip of the spear with, uh, officers, mental health. And I think it definitely bears mentioning, um, how improved that process is and how much of an advocate I know I am. And I know Brandon is um, that if we have someone or ourselves where we feel like we need to go and have a conversation with someone on a professional level, I have no problem whatsoever doing that. I know Brandon feels the same way, but uh, you know, this is a tough profession in itself, no matter what this makes it equally hard because of what we do, but like Brandon said, you know, we've, we've all seen, and we have officers all over the country who are seeing horrific things. And so they just all need to know that their mental health is super important, you know, so reach out, talk to somebody. Absolutely. You guys were great. Is there anything we didn't ask about that you wanted to mention? And then afterwards, I'm going to ask you to plug the show uh, and tell us where we can listen. to. I, I have to know, how do you, how do you pronounce your name? <laughs> Good question. Probably should I should I should always say that or like have it played out in the beginning. It it looks like Ain. It's actually pronounced Anya. Anya. Um, wow. My my grandparents are from Ireland. My mom's very into Irish stuff. So my two of my sisters got Irish Catholic names, Mary <laughs> and Catherine, and then me and my other sister got Anya and Maraid, which. <laughs> Nobody knows how to pronounce it. It baffles everybody. <laughs> well, I told Brandon ahead of time, I was like, I'm not even going to make an effort to try nope. to say it. Cause <laughs> I, we didn't even say a name. We're just like, we're just going to let her say it. I was um, like, <laughs> I know I will butcher that. If I even attempt to, I've embarrassed myself enough at the conference. Doing that. I'd like to know. <laughs> I don't think it's a question we can ask, but uh, should be asked, but I want to know a little bit about, about your show. And I know that you sort of covered the big, the big case, you know, that you covered early on, uh, you know, with the, that actually has the audio of the offense. Um, but what it, are you covering this new case is like an entire season or is it? We're kind of, we're one of those disorganized podcasts that sort of just kind of so does we, whatever we can every week. Hmm. Um, we, so, so we kind of, we moved to, we were li- originally living in Brooklyn. We moved to Indianapolis during the pandemic. Um, we're married. So uh-huh. that's why we're here together. Yeah. And also, yeah. yeah, just in case you're wondering um, that. So when we came back here, 
uh, Delphi was what, you know, people were, you know, it's just been like a really traumatic case for like, not just that part of Indiana, but just the whole of Indiana, you know, when it's been like, he's on film, he's on tape, where is he? Like, let's, you know, there's been a lot of um, anger and and sadness over that. So we sort of just started covering that and, and ended up getting a few scoops on it. And we are reporting sort of, and, and, and in conjunction with some really terrific local reporters started this kind of sense that like it's possibly connected to an online predator situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been sort of, yeah, which is kind of not what anyone saw coming because there's been so much speculation. I mean, and it's gotten crazy. People like people like accuse the Delphi mayor of being involved and it's like, he's not involved. He's not involved. It's <laughs> <laughs> insanity out there. Um, and so we've just kind of been treating it like, you know, like journalists, Kevin's a lawyer, but we're basically doing investigative journalism on it. And, you know, part you, of that's hopefully like educating the community. attorney as well? Yeah, uh, primarily uh, intellectual property, not criminal law. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I met uh, a woman whose sister was a victim in a quadruple homicide that's gone unsolved for uh, 40 some years happened to take place in a restaurant and so we got very interested in that case and then together we originally just started covering restaurant related murders but then we drifted into uh, delphi yeah we try to just treat everything like we're not going to cover it unless we can really dig into it or like do it in a in more in-depth way or you know have analysis or talk to experts like yourself and like not you know not just kind of do the let's skim wikipedia and sip some wine and chat about it you know (laughs) (laughs) um like that's our value add so that's sort of how we go to it but yeah the show's become much less focused since we started covering delphi and it's been it's been pretty uh it's been pretty interesting but i think uh delphi is just one that kind of i don't know it tugs at your heartstrings when you when you like think about like two girls go out for a fun walk don't come back like that's not how it's and it's been very upsetting at one point we got uh, a copy of a police interrogation transcript of uh, one of the persons of interest in the case, and it described at length some of the contents of the child sexual abuse materials. And it was just awful for us as lay people to uh, read that. It was like the stuff in nightmares. Yeah, it was really horrific. And we, we talked with law enforcement before reporting on that. We kind of like, let them know, like, hey, we got this. It was actually through a clerical error, believe it or not. Um, but, uh, they were kind of like, oh, wow. And then they were kind of like, you know what this, you know, I, I actually think that some of them wanted us to report on it. Cause then it kind of got a, a bunch of actionable tips that they were able to get once that came out. Um, and it seems to, the case seems to be moving forward at a pretty, uh, intense clip at this point behind the scenes. So we're hopeful that some sort of resolution is coming in that, you know, this kind of, you know, th- 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 it's connected to the CSAM case, but it's, it's all very, complicated i guess uh but if we can use it as a way to help educate people about all of this by talking to experts like you and maybe making parents more aware of it that's certainly something we're yeah to give you could give you a sense of how it looks is basically you have an online offender uh he's 27 he lives you know a, a few towns over from the girls and he's in communication with them on snapchat and instagram and is is you know is one of the girls believes he's like a 19 year old male model and wants and is expressing to her friends that she wants to meet him. And then, you know, the day of they're talking and then the day, you know, they're killed. So now that uh, sounds very, I mean, and maybe 
maybe we should have just thrown these things in there, but that sounds very familiar. Yeah. Uh, because one of our dear friends is actually has that story. Her daughter was, was talking with someone she thought was an 18 year old musician and it's a 42 year old, you know, single guy who preys on kids online and, you know, he met and raped and killed her and, uh, and her case is very well known. So it's, it, out of Australia, Carly Ryan, um, and the Carly and Sonia Ryan is a dear friend of ours and, and someone that we, um, just have, a, a enormous respect and admiration for, but that's, that's a very common thing yeah. that we see that, that sort of impose, you know, to pr- the, to what's the word I'm looking for, Tony, to, pr- you know, to pretend to be someone yeah. that you are not to, you know, seduce and meet some child. That's very common. Yeah. It, yeah it, he stole the photos of a, an Alaska cop, actually, which is crazy. Like, you know, he was like an Instagram model or something. Wait, but he say, stole that, say that part profile. again. Oh, he stole that guy's profile. Oh, wow. Yeah, he stole that guy's like, photos and stuff and like was making it out to be like, oh, I'm him. But he was. You know, yeah. Well, unfortunately, we see that a lot, too. You know, people that have um, very popular social media pages and, you know, they're constantly posting new material that you're. Yeah. You run the risk when you put that I stuff don't know online. How someone hasn't stolen your profile and pretended to be a male model, Tony. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Can't you tell right here? <laughs> They're like, oh. <laughs> They're like, eh, we're going to avoid that one. <laughs> <laughs> a big and tall male we're, model. We're going to get arrested if we use his picture. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, listen, it, uh, how long is when, when he says messed up, that's what is most messed up about us is our sense of humor. So sorry for yeah. that. You're fine. No, uh, I, yeah. Right before we, uh, right before we started talking with you, we listened to your blooper episode. Yeah. we were. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank so you for that. See it live. I say it to Tony all the time. You're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so glad to hear that you uh, listen to that because it took me forever to cut that thing together. And I was cracking up when I was doing that. And I kept telling him, I'm like, I'm putting this out. I'm putting this out. And, and he's like, don't you put that out. Do not put that out. And so actually our Patreon supporter, one of our Patreon supporters, a uh, very nice lady was convinced us, Hey, put that out. Yeah. <laughs> How long is your podcast? How long have you guys had your podcast? Uh, since no, uh, wait, when November of 2020, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. What is time? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, we we yeah. It's been it's been a crazy thing. I, I was gonna say we should do a blooper episode, but people would probably think we were on a ver- the verge of divorce because I think it would just be us jokingly cursing at each other over technical <laughs> mess up. So. That's, <laughs> that's like, similar to what we do. So yeah. people think. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Feel like a, there was a moment there where we were just in marriage counseling together, me and Tony. <laughs> <laughs> It's all part of a strong relationship. It's fine. It's all good. But now we appreciate having you guys uh, ask us to come on. That's an honor for us. Uh, I'm curious. How did you, how did you hear about us to begin with? Uh, We were trying to find experts to talk to about this. And I think as I was Googling around, I I saw uh, a description of a presentation that Brandon gave in conjunction with a prosecutor 
And so uh, I was trying to get some contact information for him and came across uh, your great podcast. Yeah, we were really impressed. And like the what? stuff you guys cover in a very accessible way is just incredible. Like we've been listening and I just, yeah, like love the experts you bring on and the expertise you obviously bring to it. So it's just, so we're going to be plugging this hard and telling people to listen. Um, but yeah, no, I, and I think, you know, for us, it's just been interesting because, you know, I, I, Kevin mentioned he's typically a copyright attorney. I'm typically a retail reporter. That's my day job. So, uh, most of my clips are about like, Hey, what, what's going on with this grocery store? But, um, <laughs> it's certainly our foray into crime journalism has certainly been. Well, I am, I'm a consumer of the retail grocery store because I love to eat. So yeah. I'll tune in. There you go. <laughs> He's obsessed with grocery stores. He's always like, he's always like, well, we should check out this regional chain. And I'm like, I'll, I'll leave work at work, you know. <laughs> but, um, Please make sure you edit out all of the stupid things we said, particularly me and anything. There wasn't. There, there, wasn't. there really wasn't any. I, you guys were great. I mean, we were just like, I'm sorry we kept you so long, but we were just oh, like, oh no. my god, we have to answer. Oh no, no. Ask all these questions, and like, it's one of those things. Like we've we've um we've you know formed a pretty, I would say good relationship with law enforcement on the Delphi case in terms of trying to get a sense from them about like, we don't want to do anything to hurt the case. So like, tell us what to, you know, basically like one of those things as I'm sure you've had, if you've ever, you know, had a local like time beat reporter or something, but, um, but yeah, it's been at the same time, you know, sometimes with them, it's like, you know, they, they can kind of give you the generals of the case, but they can't necessarily put it in that context that like only experts can right. when they kind of cover a lot of these cases. And so we really appreciate Yes, there's guys. nothing like talking to people who do this day in and day out. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate you too. And like, so we're going to, I've recorded this whole thing, so we're going to flip it and put it out as an episode as well. So if that'll help push some people towards yours to, to make, uh, you know, more people aware of what's going on or raise a little more awareness, we're, we're totally glad to, uh, to participate in that too, because it, it helps us. We know the difficulties of hosting a weekly podcast. It is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No one knows how much work that you put in outside of out because ours is all, you know, we don't do anything during work hours. So, uh, yeah, it's you know better than most the the <laughs> amount of time on the side that it takes. It's intense. Yeah, it's a nightmare. It's a bear, but <laughs> yeah. but it's definitely yeah. I mean, what you guys put out there is very helpful, and I feel like especially for you know, I don't think a lot of people understand the depths of this issue. We're all like ah, scary online predators, but no right. one's like, well, what are they actually doing? What are the risk factors and yep. all that? Yeah, and just trying to make. I think our our whole push is to try to make it less scary for parents because if you make it less scary and just very down to earth then it's going to be accessible and, and it's going to be something that they can take home. And, you know, the, it's not rocket science. It's, you know, it's not, you're not telling a parent to create a whole new set of rules. We're just saying like, you know, just be in, be, be present. So I think that's the biggest takeaway is be present. Hey, one thing, can I give ours a plug? If uh, any of your listeners have uh Anything they need as far as resources, please go to our website, uh, www.catfishcops.com, uh, and go to forward slash resources or click on the resource tab when you get there. Because on our resource page, like Brandon mentioned, we are very, very close friends with Sonia Ryan. She's just near and dear to our hearts. She's a part of both of our families now. Um, we have worked into a partnership with uh, the Carly Ryan Foundation, and so they've graciously given us the ability to 
list a lot of resources on that uh, resource page of ours that will directly link you over to the Carly Ryan site, but they're very, very helpful in regards to third-party applications or, you know, parental monitoring. There's a contract on there that you can get, you know, a parent can work with their kid. Uh, Just lots and lots and lots of resources. And if anybody's out there that needs something, you know, specific, you're very likely going to find it on our site. So, Awesome. That's terrific. Well, thank you again so much. You're yeah, welcome. I think maybe we may reach out to uh, the Carly Ryan Foundation too, because I feel like that would be a good follow-up uh-huh. possibly in terms of, you know, getting more expertise and, 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 and definitely we're just trying to keep do, doing like an ongoing series just on this topic, basically. Right on. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. It was really wonderful talking to you and, and we really appreciate you taking the time. You, you betcha. Thank you so much. Thanks a bunch. You guys have a good night. Thanks. All right. Thanks. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Catfish Cops podcast brought to you by Brandon Poor and Tony Godwin. For additional information and available resources, please visit our website, www.catfishcops.com, and click on the resources link. Thank you for listening to the Catfish Cops podcast brought to you by Brandon Poor and Tony Godwin. For additional information and available resources, please visit our website, www.catfishcops.com, and click on the resources link.